Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Hom, and I am here with another um, Real Estate Investor Goddess interview. On the show, we interview successful female real estate investors who graciously share their stories with us, share their wisdom, um, and even their mistakes. And uh, and today's guest is has a particularly incredible story. I'm super excited to have her on. Normally, a lot most of our guests have done residential real estate, and um, this guest is uh, has done. She's been residential, but also her real focus, her main focus has been on uh, commercial. Stephanie Ardry is CEO and president of the Blue Diamond Group, Inc., with Blue Diamond Capital Advisory and Properties, a full-service real estate brokerage, advisory, and development firm. Previously, she directed multi-billion, with a B, dollar portfolios of commercial real estate development projects, luxury, mixed-use, and retail commercial projects including quite a few here in Los Angeles, the Via Azur, the Vias at Park La Brea, Palazzo and Palazzo East at Park La Brea, Palazzo Westwood, Saks Fifth Avenue Mixed Use, and Hollywood Park Master Plan. Prior to entering the high-stakes, high-pressure world of venture finance and commercial real estate development, she was the founder and CEO of the Ardry Group, Inc., a full-service advertising and marketing communications agency with eight offices across seven Western states. She, and with all that she's done, she still has time to now to be a doctoral candidate for the Doctor of Business Administration degree with a concentration in international business. And she's also an adjunct faculty member at UCLA, um, Cal State University, Los Angeles, and Los Angeles Southwest College, leading the real estate programs. I'm so excited that she's here. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Monique. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So you have done a lot in real estate, as we were saying, billions of dollars worth of various um, real estate deals. How did you get started in real estate investing? Well, I got started in real estate investing uh, as an individual investor when I owned my agency, but really how I got involved in the commercial real estate space was after the untimely death of my mother. My mother passed at 48, and Mm -hmm. I was in the process of dissolving my agency, and it was during that time that I had made a personal investment that went bad just as a result of how my transaction was handled. I didn't feel that I had the need to be an expert in real estate. My mother had been in real estate. She had sold land when I was a kid. You know, she was in the real estate business while I was in advertising. So I always felt like I didn't need to know real estate. I just needed to love real estate and invest in real estate, but that my mother would be my trusted advisor. But I discovered that I made a bad deal. And as a result of that, really thought about how much I loved real estate, but also how I wanted to honor my mother's legacy. And in order mm-hmm. to do so, that for me meant reinventing myself as a real estate developer. Okay. So let me go back a bit. Um, for so you, you were, when you did your individual, so talk to me a little bit about that first deal you did, just as an individual. And did you 
get involved in real estate because of your mom or was there some other reason that you decided to invest originally? So originally, we've always been investors. I would say when I realized that I'm third generation, and my uh-huh. son actually is being groomed to now be fourth generation. So my mother was in real estate. My grandmother was in real estate. Her brother was in real estate. We came from a family of investors in real estate, not only your personal properties, but investment properties is just kind of part of mm. what you did. So I've always been an owner. <laughs> you know, yeah. I have these conversations now with people there, you know, that, oh my God, Stephanie, you know how to fix this, you know how to fix that. It's like, well, when you own property, you can hire people, but you learn how to do a lot of the handy details yourself because you don't want to call someone every time there's a simple fix that you can take care of yourself. So just coming yeah. from the standpoint of being a property owner. And so my first deal away from home was I was here in Southern California. I was running my advertising agency and I was going to have a huge tax bill. And so my CPA Mm -hmm. said, you probably need to buy some more real estate. And so that's what prompted me to purchase some investment properties at that time. Mm. I love that. And I just want to highlight something for people who are listening about how you can buy real estate. It's making you money, but it saves you on your taxes too. So a lot of people don't realize that they, you know, one of the big reasons to buy real estate is for your tax, the tax benefits of it. Absolutely. Especially when you're early in your career and at, for me at that time, I didn't have a, a, you know, a child. So I really didn't have any major deductions And so when you looked at the tax liability, it was just a prudent decision to say, hey, instead of spending all of this on taxes, I can begin to build a portfolio of some assets that will begin to return me some additional benefits. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. So, um, okay, so then you became a developer, you said shortly after your mom passed. Um, And tell us a little bit more about that. So what? How did how did that develop? So for me, I first went in as an executive in a development firm, and it was really interesting because by the time that I made this decision, and me being me, I had a few folks that wanted me to go straight into real estate development, to take on some projects and lead those projects. And I, at this time now, my son was uh, about three years old, And, you know, just after meeting payroll, having a big business, I was frankly a little bit exhausted with the whole process of meeting payroll that Mm -hmm. I was not eager to launch my firm. So I had gone to USC and at the end of the program, they were like, oh, you know, you can be like, you know, one of the poster childs for this whole uh, minority program encouraging real estate developers. And I thought about it and I said, you know, I'd really rather to be an executive for a while and let someone pay me while I develop my resume. And so Mm -hmm. it was while I was at USC that I met one of the VPs for a development firm in Beverly Hills, and he and I had a follow-up conversation, and I ended up joining that organization. Beautiful. Okay, so um, what – so uh, as a, was it at that organization that you worked on all of those luxury mixed-use retail commercial projects? 
um, that we talked about that I yes I, I the first company absolutely the first company yes we had uh, what was considered the largest privately held uh, real estate investment trust, and our mm -hmm. focus was luxury apartments. And so when I first entered the space, again, no one was talking about mixed use. And that's kind of a sidebar, I'll tell you, because while I still owned my agency, maybe five years before I made the move into the real estate development space, I could tell you I had been look. I, I, I tell people I was a closet developer because <laughs> I was, I was giving advice to many of the mayors, especially in urban cities on how to attract economic development opportunities. And so they would commission my expertise from a strategic standpoint. And that would also be part of, you know, if we're repositioning particular organizations within those towns and or the towns themselves. But what was mm -hmm. interesting to me was often after I finish with some type of recommendation, then it would seem like these developers would show up at the table. And it was kind of frustrating to me. I'm like, why do they come behind me and how are they getting paid based on what I'm doing? <laughs> so right. That's kind of was my, my running, you know, curiosity. Well, why are they showing up after I'm here and how do they get paid? And so that, continue to sort of inform some of my business processes. So anyway, I was asked to join this company and I went in and at that time we were working on the Park La Brea projects. Well, we were finishing up uh, Villa Azure, which was had been the old Centinella drive-in theater in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So that project was under construction. And then we were planning to do the Park La Brea project. So we had uh, the villas at Park La Brea, and we hadn't started yet on Palazzo or Palazzo East, uh, but they were all planned uh, to happen. And in fact, they began to take shape within the first 90 days that I had joined the company. In fact, I saved a million-dollar cost overrun on those projects in particular. Mm. So needless to say, I hit the ground running. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. So you did obviously huge projects there. Um, and now, now what's your current investment focus? Because now you're, you're at the blue diamond group and tell us more about that and what kind of real estate investing you're, you're currently doing. Yeah. So we are so excited. I have a few projects that were looking to push forward. We have to do a capital raise, but uh, property in the hospitality space that I'm really excited about. It includes hospitality, retail. Uh, it will include some residential and part of a master planned opportunity. Uh, again, conditioned on, you know, the ultimate big part of that is finalizing the funding, right? And so mm -hmm. that's always the big dance in the process when you're taking on a development, which I always tell people, developments take a long time to pull together because if you have a site that you're looking at, the site might be ready to go as is, but in most cases, it's not. You either need to assemble additional parcels to accompany that site, or some of what it is you're looking to develop, it might not be the right or ideal season for those elements of the development. So you begin some of that 
preliminary work and planning and the conceptual plans. And then you're also doing the dance to assemble not only how you're going to phase in your development, but also how you're going to finance those respective pieces. So a, a development, the last part of the development is when you finally see fences up and folks break ground. A lot of yeah. times before you ever see any sign of construction, that project has been in the works for five to 10 years, sometimes 15 or 20 years. So, you know, I tell people right now, people have been asking me about the city of Inglewood, for example, and I'm like, guys, really, when I think about it, 17 years ago, we had that (laughs) site under contract. And so that was one of the sites that I was working on a master plan. And so, again, a couple of administrations later, and then finally there's traction, and then now there's a whole new season and a whole new set of developers and a whole bunch of developments happening. And that's really how it it goes. It really does take a a long planning cycle Hmm. so uh, for somebody who's interested in um development as a as as an investor and maybe as a passive investor who do you you think it's a it's good for or what kind of investors do you look for probably as what the level you're at it's maybe institutional but i'm I'm just curious who what what, who are the investors that you you're looking that you look for Actually, that's a great question. I look for, in most cases, yeah, depending upon the asset class, you're going to try to match it up with some institutional investors. But oftentimes, there's a fund, and that's what we're looking at, is we'll put together a privately held fund that will allow entry points for our equity partners, and then Mm -hmm. our equity partners can invest uh, basically by acquiring a unit of interest in that fund value, and that fund typically makes up the equity portion of the overall development because you're going to match it up. You're going to layer your deck with both your equity and some debt in order to pull off your project. All right. Yeah. Beautiful. So where do you see the biggest opportunities in real estate investing right now? Ah, wonderful question. I'm so excited. I think there are kind of three different things that I would look at if I were thinking about investor. If I'm an, a beginner, I would say focus on learning the business by acquiring two to four units. Um, I always try to find new buyers who are saying, okay, I'm ready to buy a house and I'm going, please don't buy a house. Why don't Mm -hmm. you consider buying a two to four unit property first? Because you can buy that property owner occupied and you finance it in the same manner that you would a single family residence. And here's the other thing is if you live in one of those units and you have tenants in the other units, the chances are if something happens to your income stream, which most people buy their first property while they have a job, what happens if you lose that job? Then they find themselves in jeopardy when they own a single family residence. Whereas if you have units, the probability of you immediately being displaced begins to be reduced somewhat because you in some cases, depending upon the rental rates, you might be living close to free in your unit just because of the revenues generated from the other three rental units. 
And so yeah. I say, you know, as a beginner, try to get into a two to four unit and then advance from there. And the great news is, is although you acquired that property as owner occupied, you don't have to live there forever. So say you decide in another couple of years that you still want to buy a house or something. Now, again, you still have the ability to have that rental income contribute to the mortgage of the new property that you're looking to purchase as well. For someone that is more middle of the road where they have some experience and they're looking for a way to advance further, I would say look at uh, joining an investment uh, club, uh, group together uh, finances to potentially acquire interest in larger assets. So, or, or even thinking about if you don't want to have any management responsibility, you know, you can always um, participate by owning stock in a publicly traded REIT, for example, uh, as another way to participate. So I would kind of move it up from there. And then if I were someone that's more advanced, then I would look at redevelopment opportunities. Because when you think about it, there's aged inventory across the country in certain markets. When you go into parts of the country that were developed uh, earlier, of course, you have migration patterns where, you know, Cities, urban cores become popular, then they lose their popularity, and then they're primed for redevelopment. And so when you just look at what might be happening in the market that would trigger uh, some future growth, it's an opportunity before that growth happens to look at getting in that market and seeing what's going to you know, what's planned. So that's where you make that trip down to your city planning department and take a look and see, you know, what, what are they talking about? What are the projects that they are looking at in forward planning? And how then would that impact a particular area? Mm. I love that. So you, uh, I haven't actually heard that, that last bit of advice in particular. So you go to the city planning department and you can find out, before things are public, what's you know what are what's on the rolls? What are what are the things that are coming? Is that how do you how do you yeah, do that? absolutely. So yeah, I, I of course I'm I'm curious, and I and I do this not only in person but also online because you can look at the city council agenda for the planning department, the planning committee for whatever mm-hmm. city, because in most cases, when you're talking about a major project, that project has to go through some level of approvals. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, those things will be published. So if I'm, say I'm tracking an area and I'm not there physically on the ground, I'll sign up just to get their uh city council alerts for the planning department and whenever Mm -hmm. there's a notice that goes out about a particular project that the planning department has to review then I know that's a project that I want to be aware of in that market and I can just you know take a look and then I can get the minutes after that hearing has taken place to see what decisions were made Um, that's one way if I'm in an area that I can drive to planning I go right on up to the planning counter and find out who's handling forward planning what's what's on the radar what's coming up beautiful i love that um that's great so you've you've obviously had tremendous success uh, many many successes uh being a real estate investor your whole life really i but i in my experience and in, uh, what i no- realize that most people learn 
not so much from when things are going great, but they learn a lot more from their mistakes. So what would you say was your biggest mistake in your real estate investing career and what did you learn from it? So it, the the biggest mistake was uh, right prior to my mother passing, I had purchased another property. And again, this was before I had decided that I was going to move into the space. And uh, I trusted an agent to assist me on the deal. And I think I gave him too much trust because I told him that I was eight months pregnant and I was going to have another tax issue. And so my CPA again said, hey, you need to buy another property. And I was like, okay, no worries. But it was getting close to delivery. And I was thinking, I can't you know, deal with finding this property. We weren't finding the property. And so I was like, well, maybe I should just delay this until after the baby's born and all of that stuff. But anyway, I was given the recommendation that this gentleman was a trustworthy person. I trusted him. He did this deal and it really wasn't a great deal for me. So it ended up Mm -hmm. putting me in a situation that about 24 months later, I found myself in a financial situation where I ended up losing that property as well as some other properties that I owned. So that was in a personal investing experience. And then another experience that turned out negative was a lot of family members, families are, you know, relatives are passing and oftentimes before they pass they've not always taken care of what should happen to their real estate Mm. in my family we thought we had this all resolved regarding a particular piece of property it had all been resolved while the person was still alive and able to make decisions and so Again, thinking that, you know, you covered all of the what ifs, what I didn't bank on was that if you have an equal ownership with a person, if they decide to do something wrong, you have no authority to overrule them. Mm. So you're taken hostage in that transaction to the degree that that person is willing to, you know, do whatever it is that they're choosing to do. And so I found myself in a situation where a family member was uh, misrepresenting the facts of the property and created a, a fraudulent legal battle, all as a result of personal greed that was completely unfounded, but you still have to go through that experience. Mm. So, so that would definitely inform how I would structure any type of ownership in real estate. Yeah, always make sure somebody has a um, a means of like overriding. Or uh, we, you know, we have a property where we have fifty fifty, but we've elected in the case that we have. Um, we're in disagreement. We've elected somebody that we that we both that both parties trusted that we can that will be the tiebreaker. Um, okay. You know, in in our case, so that's one way we you can you can do it. But it sounds like so. Just going back to that first one where you you put too much faith in that one agent. What what did you learn? What will you do differently in the future? Well, now I'm in the business. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 so listen, listen, I dot dot every I, I cross every T, 
you know, my clients, when we're going through contracts and negotiations, they they always ask me, they're like, gosh, you, you know, you, you act like an attorney. I'm like, uh, don't say that because I'm not a licensed attorney. I have no authority to be an attorney. I just read very well, and I just <laughs> look at all the deal points thoroughly. And if something is inconsistent with what we've discussed, I just point that out. And you can then present that to your attorney because I am not an attorney and that is not <laughs> that is outside of my scope. However, you know, I am just looking at deal points thoroughly and then also considering what ifs, what ifs, what if everything that you all of your assumptions, what if, you know, your A, B, C, D, E and F plan all go bad? So then what if? What if what would you do in that situation? So that's a this is your your exit strategies or just poo poo hits the fan. What what happens? <laughs> Thinking about exactly. That. You know what I tell yeah. people? I say when we start a relationship, let's work on the exit first, right? So just like yeah. you have a prenup in a in a marriage, it's it. Let's create that exit for the business relationship on the front end. That way, we can get through all those issues while we like one another, so that in the <laughs> event things go south, you know, you, you have some, you have a buy-sell agreement. You funded that buy-sell agreement in such a way that irrespective of what happens, the financial state of the business or the assets at that time, you have an ability to exit out an ownership position without yeah. having to completely dissolve that asset, especially if the timing is not favorable for that asset to be dissolved. Mm, so good. Great advice. Um, so the, the flip side of my last question in terms of the mistakes is what are you most proud of? Wow. So what warms my heart now is the fact that my son is interested in real estate and mm-hmm. he he said that he was he said mommy you threw me in to swim with the sharks i was <laughs> Uh, out of the country in the Middle East, and I was in the midst of trying to close on a few commercial deals, and it just hit me that, oh, my goodness, there's not anyone that I can really make work around the clock because since I was 15 hours ahead, that means, you know, you kind of have to catch you at two times mm-hmm. in the day. So I'm like, well, who can I force to sort of be available? So my son said, listen, I, I'll, I'll do it. I, you know, I want to be a part. Let me jump in. And he said he was excited, you know, okay, I got contracts signed. I went on a couple tours, and then suddenly he began to realize the volume, and he says, oh, my gosh, Mom, this is this is really hectic. <laughs> this is a real business here that you're running. And so, but even after all of that, he says, you know what, I really, I like this. So he began to uh, become part of the business, even though he has his other interests, he recognizes that he calls this the family business, the family legacy. So I'm so mm-hmm. excited. Yeah, you know, I wish my mom were here to see her grandson and go, oh my gosh, now we're fourth generation. Wow. <laughs> Keeping the family legacy alive. Yes. I love that. I, you should be proud, Mama. That's great. Um, <laughs> and And what and to what do you attribute your success? So I think with 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 anything, what I probably have noticed is, you know, 
business and a career, or in my case, you know, building an entrepreneurial focus, it's like a marathon. It's not Mm. a sprint. So you're going to have some different terrain that you come across at different points. Sometimes you're going to be in a great stride. Sometimes you're going to trip on something and get knocked on your butt. So I think the the thing that has kept me going is I have a certain methodology that I employ, and I and it's like I get really focused on whatever it is that I'm interested in at a point like laser focused, and I have this desire and willingness to learn bottom up so that I know every element of whatever it is that I'm up to. And so I, yeah. I, when I started off in development, I would tell you, you know, I'm working with this team that I'm leading of folks who have been working together, you know, 15, 20 years. So imagine, you know, I'm the only woman ever in this role in this particular organization. And so you're walking in and these guys, you know, they, they've been working together. You know, I used to tell people I go to work every day and I have to uh, direct what's happening with a bunch of millionaires and billionaires at the table. <laughs> Mm. So imagine no those egos and everything else. <laughs> right. No pressure. Right. No pressure. And, and, you know, getting everyone on the same page and then helping them all understand what's common. At the end of the day, it's all about the dollars and cents. But let's, you know, kind of align everyone to those objectives. I've seen that happen for me in terms of how I evaluate and lead an organization is that I really focus on what's the critical thing that we must master and accomplish at this particular time. Mm. And until I feel like that has been accomplished, I don't move to the next thing, which is really funny because a lot of times people will look at my resume and background and they go, oh my gosh, you do all this stuff. And I'm like, don't let my resume fool you. When I was in advertising, I was all in on advertising. You know, 200%. That's all I did. I ate it, slept it, drank it. When I left advertising and went into real estate, I didn't keep one foot in advertising and go over here. No, I was all out of advertising. Mm. So I literally started all over with a clean slate and reinvented myself. But I wanted to be a master in this space. I didn't want to just barely know it. I wanted to master the space before I went forward. Beautiful. So um, we're looking at the time. I could talk to you for another five hours here. You have so much wisdom to share. But um, I, before we get into our trinity, which is how we conclude every podcast, I just want to ask one last question. Um, what advice do you have for a woman? Well, you, you already talked about, you know, how, what, what, what you would suggest women who are starting, who are in the middle point or who are more advanced, what they should do. But um, I guess my question for you is what do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you now know? A lot about trusting my instincts. So I had, I've had a lot of good instincts about business, even before I came into real estate development. I remember like the five years before I was talking to this one guy and he says, I said, yeah, I want to be a developer. And he says, well, 
okay, what would you do? I said, I would do mixed use. And he says, well, nobody's doing mixed use. That's, you know, that's passe. Nobody's doing mixed use. But now look around. You can't go to a city without seeing mixed use, right? So the reality was I was speaking to someone who I considered to be an expert, like a mentor, but he did not have the market knowledge that I had. Yeah. And so when he said, uh, you know, nobody's doing mixed use, and then when I entered the business, probably the first three years that I was in the business, no one was doing mixed use. So it was sort of like, hmm, that's interesting that you're thinking about this. Nobody who are all the professionals, they're not talking about this. And lo and behold, (laughs) everyone, you know, caught on and mixed use, mixed use, mixed use. That's all you're looking in urban cities as a solution. Wow. Beautiful. Well, that's always great advice. I'm a big proponent of that. Trusting, trusting your instincts, trusting that your intuitive guidance. Um, so I love that. And lastly, if there, you know, what's the best way for people to reach you, find out more about what you do? Um, I'd say look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Stephanie Ardry on LinkedIn. That's probably touch point number one. Our, uh, okay. our my office in Orange County. Okay. All right. Beautiful. And we have time for our famed end of show, Trinity, which is a brag, a gratitude, and a desire. So what is one thing you're celebrating right now? What's uh, what's a brag you have for us? I will be Dr. Ardry in less than 90 days. Woo-hoo! Well bragged. That's amazing. So good. So good. And uh, what's one thing you're grateful for? Grateful to be healthy, happy, and to have this beautiful young man that I uh, get to say I birthed into this world and just so proud of our continued relationship. So very, very Mm -hmm. grateful for that. Beautiful. And last but not least, what's one desire? I would love to meet my love partner and be able to connect and enjoy this next season of life. All right. So shall it be or so much better than you can imagine under grace and in perfect ways. All right. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story and your, um, your experience Again, if you um, you want to connect with Stephanie, you can find her on LinkedIn, Stephanie Ardry, that's A-R-D-R-E-Y. And you can connect with me at the real estate, at com. And Stephanie at one point talked about, you know, if you're, you want to join an investment club, we actually have an investment club at Real Estate Investor Goddesses, uh, connecting women with investment opportunities so you can check that out there and join our online community meet meet uh, real estate investor goddesses virtually and in person thank you for being on the show and we will catch you next time for another real estate investor goddess interview bye-bye bye-bye thank you